What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Up in Flames here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. As always, I'm your host, Mo Murphy, and I got a special guest today. We've been on spaces the past couple of days, had some lit arguments. We were on the same side, so it's not like we got to bring it back up. Like we agreed to disagree on certain subjects, but it's a guy who he write fire articles. He make fire appearances on podcasts. I got my guy, Nick Andre, in the building. But before we bring him in, we'll be right back after the intro. Warning. You are now listening to Up in Flames. We up in flames, yeah. We up in flames, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Let me hear it, Lambo. We up in flames. We up in flames. We up in flames, yeah, we up in flames, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 we up in flames, yeah, yeah, uh, we up in flames, hold on, uh, check this go. We up in flames, yeah, uh, we up in, uh, yeah, yeah, we up in flames, yeah, woo! We up in, uh, yeah, we up in flames, we up in flames. What's going on, everybody? Once again, we are here live on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. Uh, this is recorded Saturday. Today is Monday, so obviously we're going to be a little behind. This is our playoff preview, and I got my guy Nick Andre in the building. So before we go any further and start really talking about playoffs, Nick, just kind of let everybody know who you are, what you do, and all the great work that you put out. Yeah, so uh, basically, uh, my, my guy Mo explained it to me. I mean, I'm Nick Andre. I'm a basketball writer, analyst, whatever you want to call it, covering everything basketball, basically from high school to the pros. Uh, you know, obviously, write articles. I, I host I host two podcasts. One is called Count the Bucket. You know that that streams on um, on Streamyard every Sunday at uh, nine thirty Central. And then on top of that, I do another podcast called Title Agua Andre, where you know we basically uh, break down basically all all type of basketball and everything. So yeah, follow me on Twitter, Nick Andre ATR. You'll see everything from articles, podcasts, whatever you name it. Yeah, one hundred percent. So we we've been looking forward to doing this show. So I want to get straight into it. Like we're we're gonna preview, you know, the NBA playoffs. So Nick, what is I'm gonna just get straight into it. What is your most intriguing matchup in round one of the NBA playoffs? I think the easiest answer got to go. You got to go with the Celtics and the Nets, honestly. I mean, I, I'm sure nobody expected the Nets to even be in a play-in considering, you know, the two the two uh, firepower that they have with KD and Kyrie. Obviously, you know, KD was out for a good amount of time. We all know the situation with Kyrie with the whole vaccination thing. So, you know, he wasn't able to play. And then, of course, James Harden ended up, you know, requesting out. So the Hawks – or sorry, sorry, not the Hawks. The, um, the Nets definitely have been through some – through a lot of trials. They, I think they lost like 11, 12 straight or whatever throughout the season. So – They've definitely been through a lot. So for them to be in this situation and then on top of that, you on the other side, you got Boston who started out pretty slow, you know, to begin the year. And then obviously give credit to Ime Udoka. He really turned, he really turned things around, um, you know, th- uh, th- throughout the middle of the year, Jason Tatum ca- uh, had caught fire. Um, Jalen Brown, the rest of those guys, Marcus Smart, who a lot of people consider as a defensive player of the year candidate. So that's, that's going to be like a really intriguing matchup. My only concern with Boston is that, you know, they're not going to have Robert Williams, you know, they're not going to have that rim protector, you know, throughout the series, so I don't know if that's going to be a really big issue, but that's probably the most anticip- that's probably going to be the most anticipating matchup. I think that series is probably going to go at least seven games. Yeah, I mean, so I agree with you. Like, I think when when the bracket, the playoff bracket came out, I think that's the most intriguing first round matchup. And I mean, 
this is the first year I want to say in a while where like I'm looking forward to four or five different matchups in the first round. Like I'm not even looking ahead to what potentially could be in the NBA playoffs. If certain teams win, I'm looking in the first round. I agree with you. The Celtics nets. I think that's one of the most evenly matched first rounds, especially when you talk about, we didn't even think Brooklyn would be a seven seed. Like we could have seen them, you know, KD's injury played a huge part in that Kyrie, not being able to play every game prior, you you know, prior to him, uh, the vaccination thing, you know, he wasn't able to play every game. At first, there was going to be a thought that he wasn't going to play this season until either A, he got vaccinated, or B, he was going to be cleared to play in every game. And mm-hmm. then the Nets injuries started coming through for the Nets, and then KD got hurt. So it was like, okay, we need Kyrie Irving before we mess around and end up in – we're not going to talk about this team, but we're just going to say – before we mess around, end up like the Los Angeles Lakers where we're not even a playing team. We don't make the playoffs. And that would have been very detrimental to the NBA playoffs if we would have had LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant not participating in this year's playoffs. I think that would have been detrimental to the NBA playoffs. I mean, that's four of the top, what, 15, 20 players. Exactly. Five to seven players with, with KD and LeBron. Kyrie Irving, a ridiculous talent with the ball in his hands. So, And then another matchup I'm looking forward to, which is going on right now as we record, is the Memphis and Minnesota matchup. So I kind of want to talk about that. That's where I want to start at first because, and and I'm going to ask you before I get into it, is that a matchup? And and I've seen this question be proposed. It was a thought in my head, but I've seen the question be proposed. So I'll make sure anybody who, who, you know, Zach Noble posted and was like, is this a matchup for the future? Like, is this a look ahead of the future of what the league is going to look like? Or is this a great matchup of the present? So when you look at this Minnesota versus Memphis matchup, is this to you a matchup of what the current NBA is right now? Or is this like, this is what the future of the league holds with all these young guys? Honestly, when you think about it, I think it's a combination of both honestly, because I mean, we all know Memphis is right there right now. Like, you know, they, they won about 53, 54 games on the year. But they're still pretty young. Like, I think the average age around them is around like 23, 24 years old. So they still have a lot of years ahead of them to just, you know, continue to ascend and get better and possibly be, you know, on top of the NBA. And then on top of that, you have the Minnesota Timberwolves who are still, you know, on the rise. You know, I don't think anybody expected them to be in the position that they're in now. Shout out to guys like Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell. Obviously, we know Carl B. Towns is doing. So I can see it as a combination of both, to be honest. And right now, you know, I know that we're watching right now. Like it's a dogfight right now. I mean, I know that it's a, I know that it's a high-scoring game right now at the half, but it's it's honestly a dogfight when you think about it. So you know, Memphis is right there. You know, outside of John Morant, you know, they got they got killers on the team: Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., who, in my opinion, is Defensive Player of the Year. And then you got you then you got other guys as well: Brandon Clark, um, Zaire Williams. So you know, like honestly, Memphis is pretty deep when you think about it, and they're all young talents who are going to continue to ascend. Same thing with Minnesota. I don't know if Minnesota's on their level as of yet, you know what I'm saying, considering they you know considering that they are the seventh seed, but they're definitely a team on the rise, especially if you're if, especially especially when you got a guy like Anthony Edwards. I think that's the guy that you gotta continue to build around going forward. Yeah, and I agree. And so think about where Minnesota is right now. They're playing in the first round playoff series. They won the playing game. I'm not even gonna get into whether we thought it was an excessive celebration. We both were on the side that like it's cool to celebrate. But that was a little too much. Yeah, that was that was a little too much, honestly. I mean, I get it. Like, you know, like 
the city of Minnesota has been through a lot of hell and back, especially, you know, considering, you know, after the Kevin Garnett days, you know, we, we know, we know they made the playoffs during the, uh, that Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler team or whatnot, but we all knew that team was really getting anywhere, honestly. So for this team, you know, to be able to get past the Clippers and get into that playing tournament is definitely, it's, it's definitely a huge accomplishment and, and a huge milestone, but the way that they were celebrating Patrick Beverly jumping up on the, um, on the, on the, um, on the scores table, throwing his Jersey, they going on IG Live and everything. It, it, it was just insane to me. Like I was, I, I was watching the other night. I'm like, yo, what am I watching? Like, it looked like this team won the chip. I'm like, yo, like this is this is insane. And, and we're what two weeks removed from like a celebration like that for a team entering the Final Four. Like that's exactly. a, going to the Final Four type of celebration. Like they might as well have cut down the nets because they're heading to the Final Four. Like that was the type of celebration that the Minnesota Timberwolves had. And so, obviously, like I said, we're recording this on a Saturday. So, if you're listening here on Dash Radio on the Nothing Manette channel, uh, all the game one games will have been played. But I want to talk about a little bit about, you know, so we'll, we'll hit on the Brooklyn and the Boston series here in a second. But I want to talk about the game that was played because we we actually could give some insight on the game that was played. And that was the Luka Doncic list Dallas Mavericks against the, the Utah Jazz. What was your takeaway from game one in the Jazz versus Dallas Mavericks? So I watched the first. I wasn't able to watch the second half, but you can definitely tell that um, this Mavericks team is definitely a good team, but they definitely need their um, their star player, Luka Doncic, honestly. Um, I think I think, I think, uh, I think, think this Utah team led by Donovan Mitchell, Bogdanovic, and the rest of these guys were just a little bit too overmatched. And it just sucks, man, that, that Luka had to get hurt, like, you know, towards the end of the year, like as, as the playoffs are rolling around. So, you know, I mean, it's it's only game one. I, I normally don't, you know, get to like get, get to over the top when it comes to game one because at the end of the day, anything can happen. But I just hope that Luca could come back as soon as possible because if not, I could definitely see Utah possibly taking this with them. You know, possibly six games. Yeah, and and game one is a tone setter for the series, though. So mm-hmm. I get it. Like a, a team could win one game, they could win the first two games, and then never win a game again get backdoor swept. We've seen it plenty of times, but I do agree with you. It's like without Luca, Utah was kind of able to set the tone, but I would wonder what the conversation in the locker room was post game, because essentially that was Dallas could have stole that game. without, Luka. And it had Luke. Like if Luca comes back in game two, I do think that was the difference and why Dallas didn't win game one. And that could be the difference, even if Luka comes back game two, if this was any type of fire in Utah's butt, like this might be Utah could win this series. And I do feel like, and we're going to touch on this a little bit, we won't get too far into hypotheticals about where he could land or whatever, but how important is this series to the future of the Utah Jazz with keeping Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert? I want to hear your opinion on, I think this series particularly is very important on whether either Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert remains a Jazz player and remains in the Jazz uniform. For the simple fact, we've been hearing trade rumors. You know, uh, a lot of people think Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks makes a lot of sense, especially for the Knicks. We don't know what a trade package would look like. We're not going to get into that hypothetical. But how important is this first-round series essentially to Donovan Mitchell and his future with the Utah Jazz? So I mean it's very important, and I and I'll, I'll I'll say this honestly, like if if the Jazz don't make it to the conference finals, which I don't expect them to, I, I don't know how you feel, but if they don't make it at least to the conference finals, I think they got to do something. I think I think they got to break it up honestly. Like 
and, I, and I've been saying this for a long time now is that, you know, Utah is a team that we all know that's going to make it to the playoffs. It's, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like how it was with the Portland Trailblazers when they had Dame and CJ. You know, we, we expect them we expect them to uh, get to the playoffs. But, you know, what's next after that? And Utah's kind of in that same position. And I've been saying, you know, like who is really that next star next to Donovan Mitchell? Like, who's going to be that next elite player? You know, Gobert, even though he's an all star, we don't like he's not the offensive talent that, you know, that he need that, uh, that needs to be played right next to Donovan Mitchell. I mean, Gobert is a tremendous defender, but he's definitely not that guy next to Donovan Mitchell, in my opinion. So I think that's really what Utah is really missing, honestly. So we all know that Donovan Mitchell signed that extension, I think, a year ago. So, you know, he's pretty much locked in. I mean, of course, of course, you know, he can he can get traded, you know, at any time. But if you're the Utah front office, you know, like Donovan Mitchell has to be your guy. Like, you know, you, you have to figure out what you got to do to possibly build a better team around him just because, you know, I like, I like guys like Mike Conley. I like guys like, you know, like other guys, but you know, I think, I think they need to go just a little bit younger. I mean, at least, at least like, you know, younger guys that have that playoff experience, because in my opinion, in a tough Western conference, you know, looking for, you know, you still got guys like Golden State, you still got Denver, you still got Dallas who is on the rise. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know where the Lakers will be next year, honestly, but even the Clippers, honestly, you know, with, with Kawhi and Paul George coming back next year, fully healthy. So, you know the West is only going to get tougher uh, from here on out, honestly. And if you and if you're Utah, you're going to have to figure something out to uh, to continue to build around Donovan Mitchell. So with building around Donovan Mitchell, so okay, we'll take that approach. If you're Utah, you're going to be. Let's say you lose the first round. We'll, we'll, before we get into any other playoff series, we'll say Utah loses in the first round because Luka Doncic comes back game two and he's able to go. Uh, I won't say he's fully healthy. I think even if he steps in, he's not going to be fully healthy, but he's good enough to make Dallas essentially get past the first round. If you're Utah, not only do you have a coaching standpoint, because we've heard Quinn Snyder, you know, rumors to the Lakers, right? And like, we also heard the way they handled the fire of Frank Vogel, that Quinn Snyder's not fully interested, but it could cause his interest, gauge his interest if Utah doesn't make it past the first round. So now you're Utah, you're heading into the offseason. Who are you trading? Are you trading Donovan Mitchell? Or are you trading Rudy Gobert? Because if I'm Utah, I'm a playoff team for sure. But that's about it. Like you said, you hit the nail on the coffin. They are just a playoff team. Maybe win a first round. Outside of that, they're not a conference finals contender in your mind. And, and I agree with you. They're not a championship contender in your mind. I agree with you. So you got to look at who brings you back the bigger package because if you're going to start a rebuild, you're trying not to fully rebuild to where you give away a guy who's important to your success. You're trying not to give a guy who essentially puts you into a lottery type of team. You're still trying to compete, be in the playoffs, and at least be a first-round team. So who do you give up? Are you looking to trade Donovan Mitchell or are you looking to trade Rudy Gobert? So it's tough. So obviously we know that Donovan Mitchell is the star of the team. So if if Utah is still looking to be that championship or or, or at least playoff contending team looking to excel as a championship team, then you got to go with, you know, trading away Rudy Gobert, which is tough, honestly, because Gobert is the best, in my opinion, the best rim protector in the NBA as of, as of today. So you're definitely losing like, you know, a guy of that caliber, you know, who is who is able to bring that defensive presence and set the tone underneath the basket. So it's honestly tough though, because like if you do trade Gobert, what do you get back in exchange? You know, like who do you trade to? Like, do you get I'm trying I'm trying to think of like young biz in the league. Can you can you possibly get a guy like a Miles Turner? Can you possibly get uh who else is out there? Um 
James Wiseman on the team. James Wiseman, that's true. James Wiseman. Table um, with with Golden State, like depending on Golden State success, like are they looking to trade for a Rudy Gobert because the package may not be as deep, so it's like a James mm-hmm. Wiseman contracts got to match. So that's I'm looking at Golden State might have to trade Andrew Wiggins to get a Rudy Gobert, but are they looking at like okay, if we give up a Wiggins and a Wiseman for Rudy Gobert, we still get to keep Kaminga. We still get to figure out what Moses Moody is because Golden State is a sure. three team in developing talent. I still believe, like, I think it's the Spurs, it's Golden State, and it's the Miami Heat. And then it's everybody else as far as developing talent within the organization. Does Golden State look at that? And then are you like, if you're Donovan Mitchell, are you satisfied with a James Wiseman, Andrew Wiggins? in a couple of draft picks coming to Utah, do you think that uh, potentially elevates the next step? Or does Donovan Mitchell just be like, bro, I want out. Like, I'm done in Utah. We've heard rumblings, and and there's not full context within these rumblings of, like, Donovan Mitchell wants to be in a bigger market. But Utah, when they're not good, they are a very small market. Even when they're good, they're a small market, but Mm -hmm. they have a player. We saw it with John Stockton and Carl Malone. But in between then, we're like, where's Utah been? And then you had Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer. So you're like, okay, Utah is relevant again. And then they go into irrelevancy. And then they get like, okay, they got Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. So now they're a relevant franchise, but they're still small market because they're not demanding free agents. So I guess my question would be, if you're Donovan Mitchell, and even if you make it past the first round, but you get beat convincingly in the second round, are you looking at a bigger market like you want out? Like, should Donovan Mitchell want out? I guess is my question. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine that that scenario with Donovan Mitchell, James Wiseman, and uh, Wiggins. So obviously, you know, Wiggins has um, ascended as an All Star, but he has had his struggles. Wiseman, who hasn't been available for Golden State, so we don't really know what his ceiling is. I mean, we all know that, you know, during his time in Memphis, he was definitely um, an, an ascending talent. And even 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 through the course of his rookie year, you know, he has some he has some shiny moments. But, you know, do you make that do you make that risk of, you know, of a guy who hasn't played in over a year and, you know, and bring him on to a playoff team? So that's also my thing. So I, but it, but then but then I'm also looking at, at the scenario that if they're healthy, I don't I don't I don't know if I can see them beating any of these top teams in the West. So. It might it might just end up being Donovan Mitchell eventually wanting out. And I don't even know if he even has to like, you know, go to Big Mark. I just think that he needs to go to a team that possibly puts him in a better chance of winning, though. Like, you know, for instance, like I like I can even see the scenario. Like, could you possibly see a healthy dame and a Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt possibly making something happen? So to answer that question, I would say no. And okay. I, and the reason why is like with Dame and Donovan Mitchell. You got to look at what it's going to cost you to get Donovan Mitchell. In sure. So we're talking about Anthony Simmons, Yusuf Nurkic. Even if it's, we'll go a small package where it's Simmons, Nurkic, and a couple of draft picks. How much better is Portland than they were with Donovan Mitchell and CJ McCollum? Like, I like Donovan Mitchell. I'm a fan of Donovan Mitchell. You know, I'm I, with being a D-Wade fan, I'm looking for the next D-Wade 2.0. But I've sure. started to move on from like it might not be D. Mitch, it might be Anthony Edwards. Yeah, Edwards, yeah. You mentioned that last night, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mentioned it on the spaces too, where like I've been so heavy, I fall in love with Donovan Mitchell's game because like 
D Wade is my favorite player. So I'm looking for the next guy. Like who's going to replace him. That's going to make me love a player the same way. I love D Wade when he was in the league and I, I saw it after it being Donovan Mitchell, but I'm looking at Anthony Edwards and I'm like, if he can add consistency to his game, I think it might be Anthony Edwards. So with Donovan Mitchell, even in game one against Dallas, he didn't have the most efficient game. He played terrible in the first half. Steps mm-hmm. up, plays a lot better in the second half, but even still, like you're like he shot like 10 for 30 or 10 for 29 exactly. And with with Luka Doncic out, you're like, that was still a game that Dallas could steal. So if I'm Utah, I'm like, who can get me the better package? If I want to keep one, now I'm looking at who can get me the better package. And I think with Donovan Mitchell being a guard, a wing player, I think he gets you the better package in today's NBA. If this was 10 years ago, you probably would get the most out of Rudy Gobert. But with us being in a guard and wing heavy type league, where those are the guys that essentially lead you to the championship. You have your exceptions. You have Nikola Jokic. You have Joel Embiid, who will typically be your best players on a championship-type team. I think Donovan Mitchell gets you the biggest package. And with if he's interested in being a big market, I'm looking at, okay, who are considered big market teams? And so now I'm looking at Miami, the New York Knicks. You When we talk about big market, you have to throw the Lakers in. Yeah, Even L.A. No, they don't have a package essentially to get Donovan Mitchell. If D Mitchell is be like, I want out of Utah and I only want to go to LA, then we have to consider that. But we also consider the Clippers because if it's all about getting into the city of LA, the Clippers have to be on the on the lookout too. Like mm-hmm. would they trade Paul George to get with a healthy Kawhi? Does that make them better? I don't think it does, but you do have to look at those things when you're talking about D Mitch wanting out. So I want to move on. We won't. We won't. Wait, uh, I have. I, I actually have one more scenario for you. So, th- so this isn't necessarily a big market team, but I think this team has some good tradable assets. So it might happen. So, could you see a possible Donovan Mitchell in Charlotte next to Lamelo? Because they do have some tradable assets, in my opinion. They do. I, I don't disagree with you, but if I'm trading for Donovan Mitchell, that's going to cost me Miles Bridges for sure. Probably Rozier as well, and possibly PJ Washington. Like. I, th- I think, you know, they would look at P.J. Washington can play the four alongside Rudy Gobert. He has a decent enough jump shot as a stretch four to, to play alongside Gobert and succeed. So does that make your team better? No, I don't think it makes you better. And I don't think a small market team like Utah is looking to stand pat. Like, okay, we're the same type of team making that trade. And even with Charlotte, is like, does Donovan Mitchell fit with LaMelo Ball, like LaMelo Ball is essentially going to become a ball-dominant ball dominant guy, right. which is okay. I'm not going to kill him for that. That's fine. But I don't know if what LaMelo needs. I think LaMelo will more need Rudy Gobert than he would need Donovan Mitchell. Like if I'm Charlotte and I'm calling Utah, I'm calling about Rudy Gobert instead of calling about Donovan Mitchell because it might cost me less. I might be able to keep Miles Bridges, but they were missing a big man and they were missing defense. Yeah. And so if I'm not going to play defense on the wing level and the guard level, I'm going to play defense in the paint. And I think Rudy Gobert covers up a lot of those things as far as not playing defensively. You Or as far as playing defensively, I think like, okay, LaMelo ain't the greatest defender, but if he gets beat, I got a rim protector. I want Rudy Gobert. Like, I think they should be shooting for a Rudy Gobert than a Donovan Mitchell because Donovan Mitchell puts butts in the seat. And he's exciting, and we and we love Donovan Mitchell, 
But does that make sense for that, that Charlotte Hornets team who got blown out by the Atlanta Hawks because of their lack of defense? The Atlanta yeah. Hawks have 130-plus on Charlotte. So we're looking at how do you prevent a team from scoring like, like Atlanta with Trey Young having a bad first half? How do you prevent them from scoring 130 points? You look at the defensive side, not the offensive side, because they still scored over 100 so mm. offense isn't necessarily the problem. I think it's yeah, defense. It's defense yeah. I'm calling Utah and I'm Charlotte. I'm more inquiring of what do you want for Rudy Gobert than Donovan Mitchell. And even I want to go back to the point with the Nets and Celtics, and we ain't got to beat that series up, but I do want to bring up the point. The Celtics started off slow, and you gave a lot of credit to Yadoka as far as a head coach. And so my and my question would be. How important is coaching in the playoffs? Because we so focus on the stars and we give the credit to the stars and we kill the stars. We give the credit to the stars when they win and we kill the stars when they lose. How important is head coaching and how much do you evaluate head coaching matchups when you talk about previewing these playoff series? No, the coaches, honestly, like the coaches have to see everything that's that's going on, on the floor, even like, you know, when the stars don't, you know, and I can honestly use this, you know, for example, I mean, I, I know, I know the Clippers didn't win last night, but, you know, when you look at, you know, the first half, you know, the Pelicans were straight up, were just, were just absolutely cooking the Clippers, you know, Brandon Ingram was doing his thing, uh, CJ McCollum, who didn't really play well, but, you know, he started to catch fire, but then you see how, um, how Ty Lue, you know, he, he takes out um, Zubas and I think he has a small lineup where he has, um, Marcus Morris, I think he had um, Robert Covington as well, you know, as a, mm. as a small ball lineup. Now, all of a sudden, they're back up to the game and they're up double digits. I mean, I know that they still lost, but, you know what I'm saying, to just making small adjustments like that, you know, especially when you're down double digits and all, now all of a sudden now all of a sudden you have that, that type of turnaround, that's important. So that's why, you know, that's why it's important. Like, like, that's, that, like that's why, you know, we praise a lot of these coaches like Eric Spolstra, um, Ty Lue, uh, who else is out there? Um, I know, I know, I know Taylor Jenkins. I know Taylor Jenkins is a young coach, so you know, I don't want to give him that much credit. You know, as far as being in the playoffs, even uh, even like guys like Monty Williams, you know, just just being able to make those adjustments, it's, it's necessary, honestly. Especially when you go down the stretch, you know, you want to have your best lineups in there. You want to have like you know the guys that are really contributing at the highest level, because at the end of the day, I mean, each each game is important, honestly. Yeah. So you brought up. So we talked about coaches, right? And we talk about Eric Spolstra, arguably what top three coach in the league right in now. Today. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, I think easily he's the top three coach in the league today. He could be the best coach in the league today. If we take a pass and say like, yeah, we know Greg Popovich is arguably the greatest coach of all time. But when we talk about right now, like Spo might be number one, but he's easily top three. So we're going to transition to the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to talk about the series. Well, well, I ask your opinion real quick. Does it can Atlanta beat Miami in a seven game series? In your opinion, I don't think so. Honestly, um, I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to say that Atlanta's not going to put up a fight because I definitely think that. I definitely think that that they'll make things competitive. But I think Miami is just a little bit more consistent on the defensive side. I mean, Atlanta. Atlanta's pretty good as well, but Atlanta has had, has definitely had their inconsistencies defensively, and we even saw it, you know, in that playing game against um, Cleveland as well. So you know we. Obviously, you know, we, we, we know we know that Trey Young is a stub. We know that Trey Young is gonna be the star of the show, but you know, when you have dogs on like like on the defensive end like Miami has, like Jimmy Butler's a dog defensively, Bam at a bio, Kyle Lowry, you know, a lot a lot of these key veterans. And then on top of that, you have offensive weapons like Tyler Hero, 
Um, obviously, Jimmy Butler. Obviously, Jimmy Butler's going to get his numbers. I don't know. I, I just I just feel like Miami as a team is just more fit to win this series in Atlanta. I think Atlanta can at least push it possibly five or six games, and they'll definitely make each matchup competitive. But in the end, I think I think Miami's probably going to take this matchup. So with saying that about Miami, Miami finished the one seed. They arguably have a top three coach in the league. In your mind, why is Miami not widely regarded as the favorite coming out of the Easter Conference? Like, why are people, the media, whoever, even 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 guys that we talk to on a daily basis, where is the hesitation with the one seed of the Miami Heat with one of the top three coaches in the league? Where is it that Miami is lacking in your opinion that you wouldn't solidify them to be considered the Easter Conference favorite? I think people may underestimate Miami because I don't know, I guess maybe because they don't have like that superstar talent on their team, honestly, if you want to say. I mean, I know I know that Jimmy Bell is an all-star caliber player, but, you know, he's not on that level of like Giannis, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant and those guys. So when you look at like, you know, the other guys, you know, and plus, and plus, I mean, you got to look at it like Giannis and Joel Embiid, in my opinion, are two MVP candidates. I don't know who's actually going to win it between those those two guys and then Nikola Jokic, but those guys are definitely MVP candidates. And then, of course, you got guys like even 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 though they are the seven C, but you still have like Kevin Durant and Brooklyn as well. So I don't know. I just feel like, you know, when you look at these teams like Miami just might be the more complete team. I'll say them in Milwaukee as far as like, you know, having everything as far as, you know, depth, having, you know, just players that 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 could play on both ends of the floor. So in my opinion, like, and I even said coming into this year, Miami's probably going to make the conference final just because I feel like they probably had one of the best offseason off when, when they acquired guys like Kyle Lowry and P.J. Tucker, adding, like, you know, two dogs on who play hard on both ends of the floor. So in my opinion, I do think that people need to give a little bit more respect to this Miami team because – even though I didn't expect them, even though I didn't expect them to uh, be the number one seed, they're definitely a team that's gonna that's gonna make a big difference. I think people have to like take that picture out of you know obviously you know they obviously they had that bubble run you know where they did make the finals and then of course the following year they got swept. So I think I think people still also have that picture in their mind as well. Yeah. So obviously I'm a Miami Heat fan. So when I look at Miami, and you're like Mo, why would you not predict them to go to the championship? It's offense. I know the heat culture. I know you're going to bring out the dogs, but I look offensively. And like you said, you mentioned, they don't have that superstar. And when we're talking, we're talking about the playoffs. We're not talking about a random game on the Tuesday night, where if you play better than them, you win the game, whether you kill them defensively or whether you happen to have a guy who goes off one night offensively, I'm looking at offense. And I look at when I compare them to, how do they match up against Brooklyn? How do they match up against Milwaukee? I think they could beat the 76ers. And I think with the, the diminishing play of James Harden, I think if they get past Atlanta, which I think they will, mm-hmm. and I think Philly will get past Toronto, I think that will be a favorable matchup for Miami to essentially reach the Easter Conference Finals. But now you're looking and you're like, do they play Milwaukee? Do they play Brooklyn? Uh, I think that's the possibility because if if Brooklyn wins and Milwaukee wins, that's our second round matchup. And our second round matchup, if Miami wins and Philly wins, Miami, Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. And I always tend to favor the team with the best player on the court night in and night out. That's true. Miami, even against Philly, they won't have that. But we look at like, okay, everybody going to show up on Miami in some way or another, offensively or defensively. 
to where we think they could beat Philly because we know Joel Embiid going to get his, but what about James Harden? Like, the deeper we get into the playoffs, we know the more missing James Harden gets. So we're like, okay, he hasn't even come into the playoffs strong. So I think I would give Miami the nod there. I think they beat him in six or seven. But when I get to the conference finals, now I'm looking like, okay, they're going to probably play. In my opinion, I think Brooklyn beats Boston. And obviously, I think Milwaukee beats, and we're about to get into that series, but I think Milwaukee beats Chicago probably favorably in like five. So I'd now, say four, honestly. I'm going to give Chicago one game. Okay. I'm going okay. to give them one. And I'm going to give them that. But but I don't disagree with you that it could be a sweep because Milwaukee might be. And we'll get into that in a second. But now I look mm-hmm. like, okay, the conference finals is Miami versus possibly Milwaukee or Brooklyn. They will never have the best player on that in, in that series, probably night in and night out. Even on Jimmy Butler's best night and Giannis's best night, Giannis will be the best player on that floor. Even in Jimmy Butler's best night and KD's best night, Giannis, I mean, uh, KD will probably be the best player on the floor. And even if we go as deep as like, okay, KD had an off night, Kyrie's best night could probably be better than Jimmy Butler's best night, who we're essentially looking at, that's the guy that got to get you to the finals. So that's why I don't buy, and I love the Miami Heat, but that's why I don't buy that they make it to the finals. I would love for them to make it there. I would love for them to compete for a championship again like we've seen in the bubble. But do I see, and I hope I don't ruffle a few feathers with this nickname, but do I see Django Jimmy showing back up in this playoff series? Like, do you see Django, you know, Jamie Foxx, Jimmy Butler show up in these playoffs to the point where the, the, the Heat can make a finals run? I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say no. But honestly, I don't know. There might be a possibility. But the one thing I want to say is that, you know, I mean, we know that Miami doesn't have that superstar talent. But, you know, we do also bring up coaching at the same time, though. So let's say, for instance, it does come down to Miami versus Brooklyn. And, and I mean, we, 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 we know that you know, we know that we know that Brooklyn has KD and Kyrie. But do you think that there's a chance? Obviously, I mean, in your opinion, you probably say yes. And I'm, I'm going to say yes as well. But like, do you think that the. um the coaching ability of Eric Spolstra out coaching Steve Nash may possibly get them that series win. So if it if it's a series that absolutely comes down to coaching and it doesn't come down to who's the better player, then yeah, Eric Spolstra is a better coach than Steve Nash. I think we both mm-hmm. agree on that. Like this, right. that's not even a conversation. But sometimes talent can outweigh coaching. That's and true. That's I look at it where I'm like, okay, if we play Brooklyn in a seven game series. Kyrie's available, Kevin Durant's available, and we're looking at the possible, like, if they're in the Eastern Conference Finals, I think we would assume that Ben Simmons has returned, which gives Brooklyn a defensive aspect that we're not looking at right now. I didn't even think about Ben Simmons. That's crazy. And that's that's where I'm looking at, like, okay, if they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, Ben Simmons is going to return. Like, they're talking about he possibly could return game four, five, or six in the series against Boston. So now I have to assume that if he could return in game four of the first round, he's back for, for Brooklyn to be in, in, in the Easter Commerce finals. And so that changes the aspect of how we look at Brooklyn defensively because KD plays defense. Is he a great defender in my opinion? No, but he plays defense. He's 6'10", 6'11". He can get those blocks at the rim. Uh, I don't think he's an on-ball, like, great defender. We know Kyrie's not really a great on-ball defender. 
But when you look offensively on Miami Heat's end, who has to be a great on-ball defender to essentially shut down? Jimmy Butler averaged 21 points a game. Tyler Hero averaged 20. So, like, those are their two leading scores this year. Are you really concerned? And I love the Miami Heat. It hurts me to say this, but are you concerned? Like, in my opinion, I'm not concerned about the Miami Heat if I'm Brooklyn because I got two guys who could explode for 40 at any given point in time, and I'm facing two guys who they average 21 points and 20 points a game. So, like, when you talk about the offensive end, if Brooklyn takes advantage and makes it where Miami has to play our style of ball, Miami has no chance against Brooklyn. Even if they go in six overall in the series, you're like, Miami can't beat Brooklyn if they play Brooklyn style of ball. But if you add Ben Simmons to the aspect, if Miami play, makes Brooklyn play that, slow that, slow it down, half court offense mm-hmm. and defense, Brooklyn now has a chance because they got Ben Simmons, who is great defensively. Yeah, that's true. And the only reason why, you know, I point that out is because, you know, I obviously go back to the bubble, in particular that Milwaukee series that Miami played in, uh, in, the, in the second round. Obviously, you know, Giannis was the MVP that year, but they really took him out of his game and really took him out of his comfort zone. So that's why I'm looking at it like you know it like it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of like what you said like if Miami can if if Miami can force Brooklyn to play like you know at their pace and their style of basketball I'm not saying that I'm not saying that that they'll win I'm not saying that you know it's a guaranteed win for them but they definitely can make it competitive and plus I don't know it's like I don't really trust really the depth of Brooklyn I mean I know I know what Kyrie Kevin Durant Ben Simmons bring to bring to the table and then obviously guys like Seth Curry and those guys but who else is really going to um really set the tone for Brooklyn going forward in the uh, in the series. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with that. And you're looking at Miami, and you're like, they're 12 deep, but this is the playoffs. You're not playing yeah. a 12-man rotation in the playoffs. Yeah, that's true. 100%. Like, we saw Victor Oladipo drop almost a – he had 40 points, almost a 40-point triple-double against the Orlando Magic to close out the season. For me, I'm not expecting Oladipo to drop 40 in the playoffs. All that oh, told no. me – is that Victor Oladipo is healthy, which is mm-hmm. what the Miami Heat need, and that's kind of the aspect that people aren't measuring for the Miami Heat. So in your opinion, how important is Victor Oladipo in his health? If he's healthy and he remains healthy throughout the playoffs, does that change how you look at the Miami Heat at all? I think so in a way, but I'm not going to bank on it, honestly, because I mean, Oladipo has missed the past, like, you know, nearly a year and a half. So, I mean, I know, I know that he had that 40-point game, Honestly, and I know that it was, you know, towards the end of the year, but I don't know if I can beg on him to really make that big of a difference, honestly. Now, I mean, we, we all we all know that Oladipo Healthy can can really be a great asset on both on, on both ends of the floor, but are you really banking on that if you're Miami? Like, like you know, for, for him for him to be like as far as like that elite player that he once was, like, you know, during his Indiana days, say. Yeah, and I don't think if Miami wants to win a championship, I don't think they have to hold I, I don't think they can hold all the weight on like it's we go as Victor Oladipo goes, and I think it's on Jimmy Butler. So before we move on, I'm, I'm going to put an aspect. So Miami beats Atlanta. I think we both agree on that. But they lose in the second round. That would be Miami makes it to the championship, loses, gets swept in the first round against Milwaukee, and, and loses in the second round against whoever they play, whether it's Philly or Toronto. If you're Miami... Are you exploring options? And there's been rumors how valid they are. We don't know. But there's been, you know, rumors that if Miami doesn't make a deep run, and that's all based on player consumption on what's considered a deep run, 
And I would imagine the conference finals, right? That's a deep run. You right. win the first round in the series that you're supposed to win being the one seed. I don't think that's considered success. Jimmy Butler could possibly one out. Do you think Miami essentially does explore the possibility of like, okay, we probably have maximized what we are with Jimmy Butler. We signed him to this contract extension. Do you look at trading Jimmy Butler? And if so, we don't have to consume a package. But if Jimmy Butler's like, yeah, I think I've, I think my time in Miami is done. I think I've maximized what I could do in Miami and I'm looking to go elsewhere, which we're in a league where star players will go elsewhere and no hesitation. Who, who are you calling if you're Miami looking to trade Jimmy Butler? I think you mentioned it yesterday. Um, could there be a possibility of a um, Jimmy Butler, Paul George swap, honestly? Because I mean, you, I mean, honestly, you did mention that Kawhi's first. I think Kawhi's first option, you know, wh whenever he was like, you know, exploring free agency after that Raptors championship, was he wanted to play with Jimmy Butler. Obviously, you know, we all know that uh, that didn't happen. So, it ended, so it ended up being Paul George. Now we all know, you know, what happened with the Clippers, you know, in the bubble and everything, and then of course, you know, with Kawhi going down last year. So we never really have had a chance, you know, besides that bubble series, really see like what the team can really do, like when the team is fully healthy. So has that time in LA, you know, with those two as a duo basically been over with. And if, and if so, you know, would you make that swap? Honestly, in my opinion, in my opinion, it's not a bad swap. Honestly, I feel like Paul George could definitely fit well with this Miami team. I think, I definitely think that he's better offensively than, um, Jimmy, than, uh, than Jimmy Butler. I don't know about defensively. I think, I think defensively, defensively, they might be neck and neck, or you could possibly give the edge to, um, to Paul George's, you know, considering, you know, his versatility, but honestly, I don't see that as a bad swap, but even, um, could you even consider, you know, I know we talked about Donovan Mitchell earlier. Like, could you possibly see that as a swap, you know, with Jimmy Butler and Donovan Mitchell? So I love D Mitch, but his, I guess you could say his inconsistency, inconsistency offensively, like you're essentially buying in that Donovan Mitchell will be your best player. And I think at Utah, he's shown that Donovan Mitchell can't be the best player on the championship team. And so when you're Miami, you're coming off it from a season of being the one seed. If it didn't go how you wanted it to go in the playoffs, like you're looking to get better. I don't think Miami's looking to rebuild. And you mm -hmm. wouldn't be rebuilding with Donovan Mitchell, but I think even trading for D. Mitch, you're in the same position that you were with having Jimmy Butler. So how much does that trade make sense? Where I look at like with Paul George and everything you said, we've had these conversations even on Twitter spaces, is why I think a, a, a Jimmy Butler for Paul George almost essentially swap makes sense because Kawhi, the number one guy that he wanted was Jimmy Butler, but we knew Jimmy Butler's number one interest was playing in, in Miami. And obviously like the interview he had with, with, with uh, JJ Redick and multiple things have come out that Jimmy Butler was eyeing Miami even when he was in Chicago once D-Wade got to Chicago. He was mm -hmm. constantly asking D-Wade about, like, Miami. Like, what's Miami like? How do they accept you as a star player, this and that? So he's had his eye on Miami, so it made sense. And then with the heat culture, like, Jimmy Butler is the type of guy that embodies heat culture. But when mm -hmm. you look at the Miami Heat, you're like, they're missing a piece offensively. This and so I know Paul George has injury concerns that will probably hesitate making you make that trade so you might be like okay we want Paul George in a pick but even Paul George in a pick I think when we look at Paul George being healthy he's the missing piece that the Miami Heat are needing and I think if we have Paul George instead of Jimmy Butler granted he did just catch COVID the Clippers lost 
they're not going to be in the playoffs. They lost to the Pelicans. But I think, like, with Paul George healthy, he is the offensive piece, that go-to guy. Five minutes left, it's a tick-for-tack game. Give the ball to Paul George. I think that's what the Miami Heat are missing, essentially, sure. to make a championship run. So that's where I'm looking like if we fold, Jimmy Butler might one out, but it could be on the head of Jimmy Butler not being that offensive piece that we need. And I think if you make a swap, Kawhi Leonard wanted to play with Jimmy Butler. If that still stands, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't see why not. Jimmy hasn't shown that he's any different than what he was prior to coming to Miami. And he probably boosted his stock a little bit in the bubble and maybe it dipped a little bit, but he's essentially been the same player right now. Jimmy Butler is the same player that he was when Kawhi had Jimmy Butler as number one on his list to play with him. And I think Paul George is that offensive piece. Hopefully he can stay healthy. That would be my only concern if I'm, if I'm Miami. But Jimmy Butler's been kind of banged up too. So For I sure. would be willing to make that trade to have Paul George there. Essentially to fix the offensive side, late in games, you could give Paul George the ball, he can get 30. And that's what you need consistently with Miami if you want to be a championship team. Right. And here's another scenario too that I have. I I highly doubt that this would ever happen, but this is probably another um, swap that could possibly um, happen, like or that could possibly you know make sense. Like, could you see a Miami Boston swap, Jimmy Butler for a guy like Jalen Brown? I would contemplate yeah. if you know, being a Heat fan, I would contemplate that because I like Jim, I like Jalen Brown, and I think he's a young guy who embodies heat culture. He plays defense. Mm-hmm. He works hard. He can score offensively. He gets a little banged up, but not major injury history to where I should be concerned about whether he's going to be available. Like where I, where I would have that concern with Paul George is like, is he going to be available when we need him? And you talk about building. So now I have for the future, I have a big three to build off of with Tyler Hero, Jalen Brown, and Bam Adebayo. Mm-hmm. If that was a possibility, if that was on the table, I would tell Miami to take it because if you trade Jimmy Butler, let's say because Jalen Brown's younger, it's going to cost you Jimmy Butler in a first round pick. We know Miami don't really care about first round picks. Let's just be honest. Like their role players are guys who are undrafted guys who are G League bound. They, 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 their, their player development is out of this world alongside with Golden State and San Antonio. So I don't think Miami's so concerned about future draft picks. And you have a young core of a big three, essentially, with Jalen Brown, Tyler Hero, and Bam Adebayo to build off of. So if that was on the table and, and you know, Boston looks to split it because or break it up because they lose in the first round to Brooklyn, and they're like, hey, we're going to call Miami, see what's up with Jimmy Butler. And we'll give you Jalen Brown for Jimmy Butler essentially straight up, or we want Jimmy Butler in the first round pick to ensure some youth in the future for us to build around Jason Tatum. If I'm Miami, I take that deal. Because are you is Miami really worse? The question you have to ask is with us being the one seat, are you worse with Jalen Brown than Jimmy Butler? I would say no. I would say if at worst case scenario, you're the same. Which being the same makes you the one seed in the Easter conference. So even if you take a slight step back because other teams improve, you're a two or three seed in the Easter conference. You have a chance of getting to a championship and you're young and you got a young core to constantly build around with Tyler hero, Jalen Brown and bam out of bio. And if you have a young big three to build around for the next five to six years, 
the possibilities are endless of what Miami could do. So I would I would entertain that trade. So I want to move to the Western Conference real quick. Uh, before we close out here, we're coming out, you know, in the next 10 minutes on our time here on Dash Radio on the Manette channel. But mm-hmm. Golden State in Denver is an intriguing series for me. And that's what I want to talk about. Steph Curry is supposed to be available for, you know, uh, game one. He said on the Draymond Green show that even if I'm not 100%, but I'm eligible to play, I'm going to play because 80% of me is better than 0% of me, which is me not showing up. Right. Do you how how favored are you with Golden State over Denver? I have them taking the series in six, honestly. And I know that Denver obviously, you know, has the potential back to back MVP with uh, Nikola Jokic. And, you know, and Denver has been tremendous, you know, even even with the loss of like Jamal Murray and um, uh, Michael Porter Jr., they, they've had great assets on the team, like guys like Bones Highland, who has played well, Dem- uh, Buggy Cousins, who has came in. You know, and has played exceptional. You know, other guys as well, like Monte Morris, Aaron Gordon has also stepped up a few times as well. But I think I think Golden State is just a little bit like a little bit healthier. And then of course, like I feel like I feel like I feel like you know the loss of Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray is going to hurt them. You know, in this postseason, honestly. So even though Steph Curry may not be a hundred percent for this series, I feel like I feel like Golden State is probably still going to have that advantage. I mean, at the end of the day, you still have guys like Klay Thompson, you still got guys like Andrew Wiggins. You know, obviously Draymond's going to be there. You know, and, and you know the rest of the guys as well. So Denver will probably put up a put up a fight. I'll say, I'll say, I'll say Denver will probably get games three and four. But I think after that, I think I think Golden State will probably take this to six. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I would say Golden State in six. I just think, like, I think they're the better team. But I think this could go to six because of Nikola Jokic. Simply, mm-hmm. like, and so my okay. So we talk about Golden State. Do you see them reaching the finals? Like, are they a finals team in your mind? As a Warriors fan, I'm not 100% sure. Now, in the beginning of the year, like, you know, considering how well they played, you know, with, um, you know, with everybody, you know, coming together and, you know, and, and them going on that, and then, and then, of course, having the best record in the league at that time, I would have said yes. But it's tough, honestly, because Phoenix is looking nice. I don't know how far Phoenix goes, honestly. I know that Memphis is young, but Memphis, I feel like, is a team that could definitely reach that reach that point as well. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I mean, it's tough. Though I think I think that they have a shot, but I, I definitely think that it's not going to be as easy as many people may believe. Honestly, is James Wiseman unavailability the reason why you wouldn't buy into Golden State winning the championship? I would say yes, because Golden State definitely lacks in size, honestly. I mean, I love Kevon Looney, you know, playing that center under the basket, but there's been many there, there's been many times on many occasions where Kevon Looney has definitely been in a mismatch and he's definitely uh and he definitely doesn't have that advantage, which is why, you know, like which is why, you know, they 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 lost a lot of games this year just because, you know what I'm saying, like they didn't have that um that lengthening, you know, and that and that height underneath the basket. So even though Wiseman has been healthy, you know, but just him being on the floor, you know, being at seven one, you know, that definitely gives him an advantage. So when you're going up against, you know, for example, Memphis, like for example, Memphis has Stephen Adams, or Phoenix has guys like DeAndre Aiden and JaVel McGee, you know, and then and then and then of course, you know, like you have that rebound advantage. Like that's gonna be a big difference, honestly. So it's tough though. Like, you know, obviously, you know, when you have the combination of Steph Clay and Draymond, of course, you know, Golden State's definitely gonna have that um a high chance of making the finals, but I don't know, it's just tough. I'm gonna have to see how they really um mesh together, you know, throughout this postseason. Now, if they if they're able to just, you know, get through the first two rounds with no issues, then maybe I will give them possibility of uh, of making the finals. 
Yeah. So, like I said, we're about to close out here. So we're going to talk about one last series and you had mentioned it earlier. And so I want to get your take on it because I think we'll probably have the same thought process. Why is the Bulls and Bucks not the premier matchup for the NBA playoffs? We talk about the Nets and Celtics, which we think is evenly matched. But why are the Bulls and Bucks with the flashes that the Bulls have shown us? Why is it that you're not bought in on like, if you're trying to watch a series and you want to see something great, Bulls and Bucks ain't at the top of your mind. I think Chicago has been riddled with a lot of injuries this year. And I mean, you know, DeMar DeRozan has played spectacular this year. You know, he at one point, at one point he was everyone's MVP favorite. But to me, when they announced that Lonzo Ball was not going to come back, you know, for the rest of the year, I felt like that was, I felt like that was kind of like the thing for me. That's like, all right, the Bulls aren't getting out of the first round because even though Lonzo can be like um, offensively can be, you know, um, not an asset as far as on, on it, on it, as far as from that perspective, he's definitely, he's definitely, you know, their playmaker. He's definitely their, um, their on ball defender that they, that they missed tremendously. So I feel like his presence not being there, is definitely going to make a difference. And plus, you know, when you look at this bulls team, you know, a lot of these guys, like, like, you know, like they're also young and they also don't really have like a lot of playoff experience. Like for example, like this will be Zach Levine's first ever playoffs. This will be, um, if Lonzo were playing, if Lonzo were playing, this would have been his first playoff appearance. Um, Vucevic has only been to the playoffs a few times, and then of course, you know, so you know, besides guys like you know DeRozan or even Alex Caruso, a lot of these guys have never really felt like that playoff atmosphere from you know from, from this perspective. So when you're going up against the against the defending champs who seem to be clicking at the right time of the year, you know they got their big three and everything. I feel like that's what I feel like that's what I feel like that's what's going to have them um, have that advantage in the series. So if Lonzo was playing, would there be would there be a little bit hot take of you to say Chicago could win could beat Milwaukee in in, in a series? I don't think they will win on it. Yeah, I don't want you to put a stamp on it and be like, yeah, Lonzo's the reason why I'm not picking the Bulls. But like, what if Lonzo was playing? Would there be like my hot take is that Chicago is good enough to beat Milwaukee? I'm not going to say they'll be good enough, but I feel like if they did have a healthy Lonzo ball, this series can at least go to six games and Chicago would definitely give Milwaukee um, some issues. So, I mean, you even look at them throughout, throughout like throughout the regular season, honestly, like, you know, Milwaukee just had that advantage against this team for for the most part. I mean, I, I know, I know a few games were, um, were close per se, but you know, the other games were just, were just pretty much blowouts, honestly, you know, and when Milwaukee, you know, just getting back on track, they got their big three back. And then, of course, they got the rim protector and the guy that spaces the floor and Brooke Lopez back. I feel like that definitely gives them that advantage, in my opinion, over Chicago. So Lonzo, in my opinion, makes a big difference. They'll probably get a few games, but without his presence, I don't I don't I don't I don't see I don't see Chicago winning the game, honestly. Not saying that Lonzo is the biggest difference, but, you know, with his presence on the floor on both ends, on, on both on both sides of the court, he definitely makes a, a big impact. Yeah, and I agree. And especially when you look at Lonzo and you talk about like his playmaking ability for others, for Zach Levine, for DeMar DeRozan, and you even talk about like staggering. If I could stagger Lonzo where I could always have a Lonzo ball or DeMar DeRozan because he showed us he could make plays for other players as well, even in his San Antonio days, like you're like, okay, as long as I can have one of them, the offense can roll smoothly and fluently. And so without having that aspect, I think the Chicago Bulls are at a disadvantage. So I definitely agree with you. But there you have it. Here goes the NBA playoff preview with Nick Andre. Nick, before we close out, give everybody where they can follow you and, and any upcoming projects that you're looking forward to that you want to plug in. 
Yeah, so definitely follow me on Twitter at Nick Andre ATR. I'm very active on NBA Twitter though, so you know you'll you'll, you'll definitely catch me, you know, tweeting out everything NBA related, especially with the playoffs rolling around. You know, I'm definitely going to have some hot takes to uh, to look forward to. But also, um, also follow my uh, follow the Hoop Truthers, um, one of my podcasts. I'll go with Andre Hoop Truthers at, at Hoop Truther Pod. Follow Count the Bucket or um, our Sunday live stream at Count Bucket USN. And um, as far as upcoming projects, I have I have a few articles in the works now, so just be on the lookout for that. Yeah, 100 percent And make sure you check out the articles because what I salute about Nick is that he gives players their flowers essentially. It's forgotten about players. He talks about the WNBA, which is a huge aspect, especially in 2022. We want to shed light on the women athletes as as well as the men athletes. But one thing that caught me on Nick was he gives players to players that you forget about. Not that I've forgotten about, but that forgotten star, that forgotten guy. Mm-hmm. That when we talk about the superstars, forget like we we can't t- we tend to forget about the guy who like he won all star, so we don't talk about him. But he had an right. impact on the game at his point in time. So that's definitely something you have to check out. I know you got a bunch of series coming, in, and, and when it comes to your writing, your series are the probably the greatest part about you. I've listened to you on the pod. You you know you 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 know your stuff when it comes to NBA, but when you come out and shed light on guys that we tend to forget about, right? That's what I love about you because you've had a couple where I'd be like, oh shit, I did forget about that guy. Like, oh right. Lord, like man, that that brings back memories. So you tend to dig in the bag of like it brings back memories for people of our age it, it, it brings back like we did forget about those guys of our age so that's what i love about your like forgotten player series and even the WNBA because it raises awareness and went in our women's sports what needs to get bigger and they need to have a bigger platform and and guys like you and it's a it's a very rare breed it's a small group of people who essentially dive into the WNBA women's college hoops and kind of make us aware that like we're so focused on men's athletics that we forget about women's athletics. So that's why I definitely appreciate you for the most, but I'm glad for everybody here tuning in on nothing but that channel on dash radio. And on that note, up in flames is out.